Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, happy Father's Day, and y'all can go ahead and wish me happy birthday. It was June the 17th. That, that I am accepting late gifts, jambalayas, gumbos, etouffees, no frozen crawfish. No, really. So we are uh, excited about all that is happening. We want to welcome the New Iberia campuses joining us today. So would you welcome New Iberia? We're so glad Tabasco Town is in the house and we welcome you. Well, today is Father's Day. And so for Father's Day, I have a word, I believe a a real challenge for amazing men that are here today. But I want to begin by doing something that, that really is a gift to men. It's really something men would like to say As a matter of fact, if we could have written a note this morning and left it for you so that when you were giving us the cards and everything, you were able to read this, it would be a blessing to us. So I'm going to go ahead and read this. This is called Man Rules from the Male Side. Ladies, are you ready? Okay. Thank you, ma'am. Is there anybody else ready besides? Okay, here we go. Number one. Men are not mind readers. Learn to work the toilet seat. You're a big girl. If it's up, put it down. We need it up, you need it down. You don't hear us complaining about you leaving it down. Number three, sports are for Sunday, like full moons and changing tides. Leave us alone. Number four, Crying is blackmail. (laughs) Number five, ask for what you want. Let us be clear on this one. Subtle hints don't work. Strong hints don't work. Obvious hints don't work. Just say it. Okay. Yes and no are perfectly acceptable answers to almost every question. Come to us with the problem only if you want help solving it. That's what we do. Sympathy is what your girlfriends are for. As y'all can tell, Miss Michelle's in Florida on vacation, so I'm reading this without her being here. Anything we said six months ago is inadmissible in an argument. In fact, all comments become null and void after seven days. If you think you're overweight, you probably are. Don't ask. I'm already in enough trouble. (laughs) If something we said can be interpreted two ways, and one of the ways makes you sad and angry, we meant the other one. (laughs) You can either ask us to do something or tell us how you want it done, not both. If you already know how best to do it, just do it yourself. (laughs) Christopher Columbus did not need directions, neither do we. (laughs) He actually ended up in Mexico and thought he was in America, though, too, so I just thought I'd share that with you. All right. If you ask a question and you don't want an answer to it, 
expect an answer that you don't want to hear. (laughs) And finally, you have enough clothes, you have too many shoes, I am in shape, round is a shape. (laughs) And then finally, thank you for reading this, and yes, I know I'm sleeping on the couch tonight. (laughs) Well, today... We hear a lot about heroes, the first responders that have helped us through the pandemic, firemen who step up in crucial times of health and safety and fire. We hear about those in the armed forces who stand to defend our freedoms and to fight for our country. And all of those surely deserve all of the honor that we can give them. But today, I want to honor people that seldom get the honor they deserve, fathers, Any male can make a child, but it takes a real man to be a father. You can be a male by birth, but you become a man by choice. As a father, you either sacrifice for your children or you sacrifice your children. There's no in-between. Now you can clap. For many of us, the role of father was played by somebody besides our biological father. Maybe a grandparent, maybe a coach, a teacher maybe uh, an uncle, or maybe in my case, a pastor, someone who stepped in when your father stepped out. We often hear about the irresponsible men who've abandoned their roles with their children, their family, but what we don't hear enough about is the fathers who thwarted all of the pain that could have happened to stay to be the earning of that little wonderful precious title, Pops, Dad, Papa, or in my case, El Macho Muchacho. (laughs) Today, we want to honor the men who've accepted the lifetime calling of being father. Like having a car. There are some that are bigger, there are some that are faster, and there are some that are slower. But just thank God you have one. We want to celebrate the men who stayed. The men who stepped out but then came back to be daddy. Or maybe you were someone who stepped in when somebody else's father stepped out. Today we fight for the role of fathers and we celebrate the fathers in our lives. The ones who are here and the ones who we wish that we could call that are no longer here. Who have gone to the ultimate father, our heavenly father. You see, father is a title that is only given to God and to men. The reason is we are to reflect our heavenly Father. The world has done a great job in the last generation of destroying the role of fatherhood so that they could then destroy the role of what the real Father looked like. Today, we are much like Rome. It was during that time that the gladiators in Rome were hailed as great heroes. How many of you have ever seen the great gladiator movie with Russell Crowe? Well, at that time in Rome, men were oversexed, overtaxed, overentertained, and overviolent. They were honored by what they could destroy instead of what they could build, how physically strong they were instead of how much moral courage they had. Their manhood was defined by what they conquered and what they destroyed 
instead of what they'd helped and given to. God's role for man is very simple. It came in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Listen to what it says. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to, what's that word? Tend and to keep it. Man was created to tend and keep the garden, his home, his family, his children, his workplace, the future, his legacy. But today, so many men have defined their lives not by what they build and what they leave, but instead by what they conquer and what they've destroyed. Today, I want to talk to you about what a real UFC as a man of God dad is. Who better to answer that question than someone who was the greatest giant killer of generation and the greatest giant killer of all of history? We've been a series on wisdom, primarily based out of the words of Solomon in the book of Proverbs. But Solomon's father was a giant killer who left him a lot of wisdom and an example. What was his name? His name was David. In 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, David who'd been lifted out of obscurity. When we think of David, we think that his story begins with him killing Goliath. That's not where his story begins. One scripture in the book of Psalms gives us his story. In sin and in iniquity did my mother conceive me. Most theologians believe that he was born out of an immoral relationship that his father had. And one day, when the prophet came to his house, because one was going to be chosen to be the leader in Israel... All the boys were dressed and ready except one. Guess who that was? David. And they sent him out into the pasture. He was ashamed of David. Maybe that's who you are in your family. Maybe you weren't the one that was the favorite child. Maybe you weren't the one that was supposed to do something with your life. Maybe you were the one that made some mistakes that caused your parents to be ashamed or embarrassed of you for the course of your life. That's who David was. And God took him from obscurity and made him the greatest king in all of Israel. That name David, that so many millions of people have been named down through the centuries, go from this young boy that was plucked out of immorality and obscurity and made a king. And from that, he led Israel to the greatest building and the greatest legacy in all of history. He's now ready to die. He has made a lot of amazing progress, but he's also made a lot of amazing mistakes. Stop and look right here, men. How many men here have made some mistakes? Raise your hand. Okay, if you didn't just raise your hand, you just made one. (laughs) We've all made mistakes. I am so glad that God didn't call David perfect. He called him a man after his own heart. David committed adultery. David in anger killed some people. David did some things that you would never want as your pastor, but he never stopped pursuing God no matter what happened to him. And so he was called a man after God's own heart. Men, take heart. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, how long, how many times you've messed up. God is looking for someone who today will be a man after his own heart, regardless of what your past has been. And now David on his deathbed is about to give his wisdom to a man who will be called the wisest man that ever lived. Here is his wisdom, his dying words to his son, who's going to rule all that God has blessed him with. 
First Kings 2, verse 1. Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying this to him. Read it with me. I go the way of all the earth. Be therefore and prove yourself what? A man. Prove yourself a man. And keep charge of the Lord your God to, to keep his and commandments. His and his as it is written in the law of Moses. Now read this together with me. That you may prosper in all that you do wherever you turn. Here's what he says. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to be strong. I want you to prove yourself. I want you to keep charge of the Lord your God. I want you to always walk in his ways and keep all of the commandments of this book. And then he says, that's the what, here's the why. As an old man, here's what I've learned, son. I've made some mistakes. I've done some things I thought I wanted to do that were pretty good, that were mistakes. Every time I didn't follow the word of God, the end result was not prosperity, it was pain. And so he says to him, son, I want you to learn. I want you to learn from the good things that I did, but I also want you to learn from the mistakes that I made. But here are the words that shake me. Prove yourself to be a man. Prove yourself. Get something down in your chest, in your heart, that makes you a man. And here he gives him the five steps in proving yourself to be a man. Number one, he says, I go the way of all the earth. What is he saying when he says that? What is he saying? Okay, I won't throw you out if you give the wrong answer, unless it's really stupid. But what is he saying? I'm dying. Let me give you some math. How many of you did good in math in school? Raise your hand. How many of you made honor roll in math? Raise your hand. I hate you in a Jesus kind of a way. (laughs) And here's what he says to him. Let me give you a statistic that you need to know. One out of every one of you are going to die. Let me help the graduates of Karen Crow High and Dusan High School. Everybody's going to die. Nobody gets out of life alive. You are going to die, and you better live life with the understanding that you never know what could be your last day. You, 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 you don't. You don't. First thing, realize that life is a temporary assignment with eternal consequences. Realize life is a temporary assignment with eternal consequences. When you're young, there's three lies you believe. Number one, I'm bulletproof. I'm bulletproof. You ain't seen my biceps, I'm bulletproof. There never existed in all of history of Acadiana a man that looked like this. Ever. You remember that song? I'm gonna live forever. No, you're not, moron. Acting like that, you could die before the end of the week. Here's the thing he says to him. I go the way of all the earth. Listen to me. You're not all that and a bag of chips with some swag. Here's another lie that you believe when you're young. I'm making choices that only affect me. 
Can I give you the scariest scripture in the Bible that's found in the first three chapters of the Bible? How many of you have areas of your life and habits and sometimes attitudes that you don't like? Raise your hand. How many of you get mad at yourself when you, when you do something stupid? Okay, look at, look at me. Do you know why? Because you know you're capable of better. Can I tell you the scariest scripture in the Bible in the, first, in, in the book of Genesis? Here it is. God created man, and then he said, go and reproduce after your own kind. And do you know what that means? If you think you hate it inside you, the only place it is worse is when you see your children repeating the sin that you wouldn't deal with. So for heaven's sakes, for God's sakes, look at me. Change before you reproduce what you are. You don't have to clap. That's all right. I'm still the pastor. I'll say something funny in a minute. You'll feel better about yourself briefly. Here's another lie you believe. I'll outrun the consequences of my bad choices. You know what many people do? They sow wild oats and then they pray for a crop failure. Listen carefully to me. Every person here, there is a promise from the Word of God I don't ever want you to forget. When you're young and you're being tempted, you don't think about it, but it's true. So I want you to look right here. How many of you believe God's Word is true? So I want to give you a promise that you can count on that's true. Be sure your sin will find you out. Let me translate that. What you did is going to come back and it will be identified as you. What you did and what you do, that should be a deterrent every time you get ready to do something stupid. Stupid. <laughs> Number two, be strong and prove yourself to be a man. Here's what he's saying. You prove your manhood by obedience to God, son. Real men, real men of God say yes to God and no to temptation and no to their flesh and no to anger and no to bitterness and no to resentment and no to drugs and no to alcohol. Maybe you said yes before, but real men grow up and they get to a place in their life where they say, no, no more. No more. Real manhood is putting God first. Real manhood is putting the people that you love first and yourself last. Do you remember those of you who are anywhere near my age, 39? <laughs> there was a bumper sticker in the 80s. There was a bumper sticker in the 80s. And it was contrasted by what I grew up with in the 60s and the 70s. Because in the 60s and the 70s, you'd drive around town and you'd see businesses if it was a plumbing business, just say Boudreaux and Sons Plumbing. How many remember that? And Sons was a part. You know why? Because they never thought of doing something that wasn't going to affect their children. You know what the bumper stickers were in the 80s when Beamers became popular? Let me tell you, most of you weren't alive then. Let me tell you. I'm spending my children's inheritance. And look at me. They spent their moral inheritance. They spent their financial inheritance. They spent their legacy inheritance. They spent their inheritance, and we are living with the consequences of it in our world today. He says, prove your obedience to God. 
prove your obedience by saying no to sin and saying yes to God, to pleasing those you love more than yourself. Here's the third thing he said, to keep charge of the Lord your God, to walk with him. It takes courage to walk with God. It takes courage to stay on the path. It takes courage to obey. Look at me. There's no blue pill you can take that will give you courage. There's no steroid you can inject or take that will give you courage. That only comes from a man who knows that one day his life is going to end and every choice he makes affects other people beside himself. Real courage comes from the cross. Real courage comes from going the road less traveled. Real courage comes from denying yourself just like the Savior did. That's where real courage comes from. Number four, he says, to keep his statutes, judgments, and testimonies. I I love this. To keep your statutes, that's God's commands. His judgment, what God says is right or wrong. And the testimonies, that's what God has done. What was he saying here? Don't forget what God did for me, son. Don't don't forget what God did for me. He'll do the same thing for you. Every year at Christmas time, we have a, we have a game that we've been doing. Every, we have six children, so there's a lot of presents. And many times we'd leave the house and come back, and it looked like some of the presents had been opened. Has anybody ever had that problem at their house? Oh, just Mexican children that steal presents. Thank you. Build that wall. Build that. So, so, what Michelle did is she stopped putting names on the presents, and each of the children would be an object. Like, you know, Jacob Jr. would be a puppy, and, you know, Christian would be a mouse, and, you know, just different things like that. So, you would look at it, and it would either be a color or an object or an animal. And then on Christmas morning, she would put this puzzle together and it would have spell out in the puzzle when you put it together, who was the puppy, who was the mouse, who was, and then she would take and spread all the pieces of the puzzle all over in different places in the house. And she'd leave a a, a thing that is the key, like, um, you flush this often and they'd run over to the toilet and pull back. Okay. You eat from this and they'd run in the refrigerator and then, and until finally they put the whole puzzle together and it said, Christian is puppy, Joseph is mouse. Okay. All of that. And then they get all the gifts around them and they're all waiting because when they get the gifts, what do they want to do? They want to open them. And so we do something we've done as long as I can remember is We start with the youngest child, and they have to say what they're thankful for. And when we go all the way around through it, it ends with me, then we open up the gifts. And whoever goes fast, I tell them I will go twice as long. So, I mean, children are thanking God for things you never even knew children thought of. Thank you for the police and for everything. I mean, just things. And you're like, do you know any policemen? No. I just don't want you to go long. So, so I, you, you, you're, you're saying all this. So they would go, and then it ends with me every time. Every year, it's always ended with me. And so for over 30 years, well, I think we, so we'll be married 40 years, January 5th. So we, for 38 years, Jacob, she was a baby, probably would have got about so 35 years. 
we've been doing this. And so it gets to me. And I say, it's my turn. I am just so thankful that when I was 14 years old, God sent a white pastor to the Mexican ghetto of Houston to preach in my school, and a thousand kids gave their life to Christ. And I prayed with an African-American counselor that night, and I gave my life to Christ, and I was born again. And that pastor became like a father to me. And when I was living in my mother's bar, he'd pick me up three times a week, take me to his home. I'd spend the weekend with him. He'd take me to church. And he's the one that showed me how to be a husband and a father and a man. And when I was 17 years old, he moved. And I asked him, if you move, could I move with you? And he just took me in for the rest of my life like his own son. And if it wasn't for him, y'all's Christmas would be very different. Christmas at my house happened when the bar closed. That's when it happened. At 2.30 in the morning. And you can imagine the condition everybody was in. And so I would say this every year, and it takes about 20 minutes. <laughs> and so in, invariably, you know, you, you get, it was usually Christian. He would say, Daddy, why do you keep saying the same story? We hear the same story all the time. You keep telling the same story all the time. And I said, because I don't ever want you to forget that the only difference between you and you being in a bar where I was when I got started was the power of Jesus changing people's lives and the local church and the Word of God. And I don't ever want you to forgive it. You know what David was saying? Don't forget that. I'm giving you my test. Don't you forget to tell him your pawpaw killed a giant. Don't you forget to tell them that God took me from obscurity. Don't you forget to tell them that I was the least in my family. Don't you forget to tell them that I killed Goliath. Don't you forget to tell them all the good-looking women I was married. I don't know if he talked about that. Anyway, don't you forget to tell them. And he would tell them all the testimonies of what God has done. Look at me. Say it till they get sick of it. Because one day, they will sit under the shade of that testimony and say, if God did it for my mama and my daddy, then that same God will do it for me. And then he said this, that you may prosper in all that you do wherever you turn. What, what, what was David saying? He was saying, well, God blessed in me, son, if you'll do the same thing. God will bless it in you. You won't be blessed because of me, but if you follow God like me, the same God will do the same thing for you. Life has its turns, its ups, its downs. Terrible things happen. But if you will fight and you will keep charge of the Lord your God, then he will prosper you wherever you go. Son, that's what I want you to do. Let me say something to you, man. Look right here. Many of you here have fences around your house. How many got fence around your house? Raise your hand. Okay, how many got cameras in your house? Raise your hand. I need to know who you are when I go to your house. Okay, hope you have them in the right places and not the wrong places. Okay, how many got a gun? Raise your hand. How many got a dog? Raise your hand. How many got a demon-possessed Mexican alarm? That's a chihuahua. Okay. Look at me. You have an alarm, a gun, a fence, locks on your house, cameras. 
Look right here. None of that protects the most important thing in your family. None of that will bring prosperity to your home and the peace of God. That comes by you following God and the God of this book and you becoming a man of God. A real man of God knows that a commitment to God and to those you love is what's most important. A real man of God knows that your manhood is not measured by how much you can bench press, but what you can put away. Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I spoke like a child. I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Your manhood is proven by what you put away. You ever see a 50-year-old man at Cowboys? Oh, I know where you've been. Or at La Fonda's on a Friday night. Their hair's dyed. They got their shirt unbuttoned, implanted some hair on their chest. Little medallion, okay? Juiced up, sitting there. Hey, when you do that and you're 20, it's stupid. When you do that and you're 50, you're a fool. And you know what? There's no fool like... You know why they say that? Because when you're 20, it's simple to be that stupid. When you're 50, you've seen what happens over and over and over and over and over and over in the lives of people who lived that way. Real men have put away childish things. There's nothing sadder than seeing a 50-year-old man still try to be 20. Y'all are real quiet. <laughs> a real man knows that the greatest control there is is self-control. And the greatest discipline there is is self-discipline. I'm always amazed at football coaches on the sidelines. I would never, ever, ever, and if you're an Alabama fan, forgive me, all right? I would never want my son to play for Nick Saban, although I'd want the championships. Do you know Why? How do you tell somebody about self-control when you're screaming at them and their veins are sticking? Why did you do that? It's like, why are you doing that? I did something in anger, and now you're doing something you shouldn't do in anger to teach me I shouldn't do what I did in anger? You don't replicate what you want. You replicate what you are. The greatest form of control there is is self-control. The greatest form of discipline is self-discipline. And then there's contentment. A real man of God is contented. He's thankful and he's grateful. A real man of God doesn't turn his head every time some little cheap 18-year-old girl who doesn't know what a decent bra is walks in. Real men don't do that. You know what that look says to your wife? You ain't got it. You know what that look says to your wife? I wish you had that. Look right here. That's what kids do. I was driving down the street with one of my boys one day, taking him to the airport, and he said, uh, Daddy, I want to ask you a question. So what he said, I want you to really be honest with me. I said, okay. I won't lie this time. 
I guess. That's how cool. And he said, do you think Mama's the most beautiful woman in the world? I'm glad that Mama wasn't there. That, 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 that's a question. Okay, now, what's the Christian answer? If I'm holding my Bible like this and like I'm about to die and they're going to bury me like this. What's the Christian answer? What's the real answer? My daughter, Danielle, be quiet. No, Iberia, shut up. Okay. Do, do you know what I said to him? I said, you know, baby, there are 8 billion people on earth. There's 8 billion people on earth. And out of all 8 billion people that are on earth, God shaped, formed, molded, and chose one woman for me. And for me, Mama is the most beautiful woman in the world. She wasn't made for somebody else. She was made for... She was made for me. Comparing her to others half her age, it just makes me ungrateful for what God's already given me that I don't deserve. That's what it does. That's what real men do. That's what real men do. They're contented, they're grateful, and they're thankful. Look at me. There's no ghosts. Okay? There, there's no, like, ghostbusters. There's, like, no dragons. Like, I don't know if dragons ever existed. The real fight today is for you to fight to be the man of God that you didn't have as a father and that you always wanted. Real men know that the keys to the kingdom of God are not given away easily. Real men know that you've got to go through trials to be trained for leadership. Real men know you can't take life into your own hands for you without God and the significant people God's placed in your life. That's sin. Real men recognize that real success is placed upon obedience to God. Real men know that trusting God, trusting His Word, and trusting the people God's put in your life is the most important thing that you can ever do. The USS Eisenhower is the largest ship in the world that the military owns. On it, it's four and a half acres wide and across. The anchor weighs 660,000 pounds. Almost 6,000 men live on that ship. The anchor is 1,000 yards. Each link in that anchor is 360 pounds, each link in that chain going to the anchor. You know why it's that big? You know why the anchor is that heavy? Because there's some valuable things on that ship, and when the storms come, 
It doesn't waver. It doesn't move. It doesn't bow. It doesn't bend. Look right here, man. Your life is one of those links to that anchor. You can't do anything about the link that was handed to you. But you can do a whole lot about the link that you're going to give to the next generation. Today, I want to thank the men that left and came back. Thank you for fighting for your family. I want to thank the men that fell, even in your marriage, but you got up. You learn more about yourself when you fail than you ever do when you succeed. Thank you. I want to talk and thank the men and champion the men who have made many mistakes but decided they wanted to put God first and start in a relationship and start doing it right now. Wherever you are, this place, this house, and God is not looking for perfection. He's simply looking for somebody who loves him, loves this book, and won't quit trying to become everything God created him to be. Your link. About 12 or 13 years ago, I was sitting back in my house, the back part of the house. Our field was like a football field, and when you have five boys and a girl, you got a cheerleader and half a football team. So my backyard was always the place where all the neighborhood boys came to play football, and you could hear screaming, and you could hear them yelling at each other, and of course the family of brothers, all these brothers, they're always getting on to one or the other, screaming at them, why did you catch that ball? I was sitting in the house, and I could hear them all screaming outside, the neighborhood boys were all there, and all of a sudden I heard, ah! How many of you know, parents, what I'm talking about? There are different levels of screams. Like, ah, don't worry about that one. They'll be fine. Ah, he broke something. His feelings are hurt. Okay, you, you just kind of know. You just trained ear, parent a long time. And I heard, ah! The door flew open and Timothy Haddon came running in the house. He's now almost 22 years old. And he came running in the house. He was probably about nine or 10. And I said, what happened? He said, ah! and he sobbed. Christian said I wasn't a football player. I said, he what? He said, I wasn't a football player. I said, son, catch your breath. <laughs> so finally, I, I calmed him down. And then I said, come here, I, I want to I show you something. And I opened up the room and we had a little man cabish in there where there's a TV and on the wall, we have autographed Shaquille O'Neal jerseys, Michael Jordan jerseys, Jerry Rice jerseys, all these different things that we've collected down through the years when they were kids and, and different athletes that I've ministered to down through the years. And so they're, they're all on the wall. And I said, sit down right there. And he sat down and I said, you, you see these people on the wall, these football players? I said, yeah. I said, you said, Danny Weber, yeah. You see Jeb Black, yeah. You see Brother Gross. I mean, he's going through. I said, yes. I go, you know, Daddy was the pastor to those guys. He goes, I know. I said, Christian was not the pastor to them. I was the pastor to them. 
Christian doesn't know a football player. I know a football player. I said, no, let me tell you something. Jacob Jr., he was not a football player. He was a basketball player. Christian, Christian was an amazing hockey player, one of the best in the whole region. Joseph, he loved guitars and girls. Okay. Wesley was a soccer player. And I said, all of your life and the lives of your brothers, I pray, God, give me one football player, just one. And I said, son, see these jerseys? Yeah. I said, daddy knows a football player when I see one. And you, son, are a football player. You're a football player. I said, I want you to say that. I'm a football player. I said, say it again. I'm a football player. I said, say it again. I'm a football player. I said, say it again. He said, I'm a football player. And we were sitting on the field in the New Orleans Superdome when he played for St. Thomas More and they were winning their first state championship. And I came running to him on the side and you know I could hear? You're a football player. And can I tell you what many of you men have been waiting for someone to say to you? You're a man. You're a man. You're not what your daddy said. You're not what others have labeled you. You are a man of God. Prove yourself to be a man. Be a man. I had to have someone tell me that. Can I show you his picture? That's the man that took me in when I was 14 years old. With my two sons that are men of God. We're standing in front of the ark. It's actually over in Kentucky. I know it's hard to believe there's an ark in Kentucky. You know, most of you thought there was just Jack Daniels. There's actually an ark. And I think it's good that it's the ark because that's what size he is to me. He showed me how to be a husband. He showed me how to be a father. He showed me how to be a man. He showed me how to deal with people. He showed me how to dress. He showed me how to talk. He showed me how to be a man. I can't tell you the times that he would correct me and I'd start crying and get mad. And he'd look at me and he'd go, son, God's got his hand on your life, Jacob, and God's going to use you. But if this doesn't come out of your life, it'll destroy you when you get there. Look at me, every man here. I don't care how old you are. Look right here. Prove yourself to be a man. When did your daddy, whether he's here on earth and he can't admit it or if he's in heaven, would look down and say, that's my boy. Father, today we thank you for the grace of God. We thank you right now for fathers, regardless of what season they are in, those that have failed but came back. Those that failed, but they, they have the courage to start again, to start over. Or those that stayed the course, like me, 
but I should have fallen a thousand times were it not for your goodness, your grace, and the people you placed in my life and your word. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the men that are here. It doesn't matter if this is the first time they've ever walked in the doors, if they walk through them every week. Thank you for them being here today. You were saying to them, what David said to the future wisest man that ever lived, be strong, my son, and prove yourself a man. I pray for courage for some who've been discouraged with themselves. I pray for strength to carry that title that only you have, Father. Father, strengthen them, carry them, cover them. I speak courage. I speak courage. I speak courage. Every young man, every single man, every teenager, every young boy hearing this, I speak courage to him. And I charge him as David charged his young son Solomon. Prove yourself to be a man. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter the kingdom of heaven. Every single person's been born spiritually dead since Adam and Eve ate in the garden. You could put yourself in church every day. Jesus looked at a religious leader named Nicodemus in John 3, 3 and said, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, I know you're a spiritual leader, but unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of God and you won't enter into it. You can't see it. You can't understand it. You can't comprehend it. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, I've been Christian. I've been baptized. I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, you must be born again. My birthday is June the 17th, but my spiritual birthday is the week before Easter, 1971, when I prayed with an African-American counselor in a chemistry lab in my junior high school. That day I was born again. The old Jacob died. A new one was raised from the dead. My sins were forgiven. Someone said the greatest day of your life is the day you were born and the second greatest day is the day you find out why. That's the day when you who were made meet your maker in relationship. Have you been born again? In just a moment, I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, if you've never prayed to be born again, it only happens once, just like the day you were born. And you want a new beginning. You want a new start. You want to know that you're forgiven, that Christ is living in you, that you have a relationship with God, and that you know the purpose he has for your life. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, God brought you here. Nothing is an accident. Two, if you came just for your father or your grandfather or your mama, it really doesn't matter. God knew it and he planned this moment for you. 
to admit that you're a sinner, to believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. Either he died for your sin or you will. And see to confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin to be born again. Now is the time. Hearing you say, Pastor, I've never prayed to be born again, but today I want to be born again. I want to know God. I want a relationship with him. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Three. Raise it high. Yes. One, two. Come on, high. Three. High. Four. High. Five. Six. Seven. See that back in the back. Eight. Okay. Now put your hands down. Last 15 seconds. Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these eight people, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. I know you're asking this time for me. God's talking to me. I know it's not you, it's God. He's talking to me. If that's you, raise your hand and wave it at me if you didn't raise it already. I'm asking this last time for you. I know there are others. Quickly, wave it at me. I'm waiting. Wave it at me. I'm waiting. Yes. I see that. Five seconds. I'm waiting. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand, buddy. Thank you. God bless you. Okay, now church, let's pray out loud with those who raise their hand to be born again. Would you pray out loud with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go, and you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name, amen.